Lord. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to jump right into some scripture today. We began a series last Sunday entitled uh, Blessed, and we began looking uh, at the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles and you want to open up there. Uh, I'm just going to revisit a couple thoughts. We kind of began by just laying a simple foundation. We said the Beatitudes give us a spiritual standard. A moral code tells us which lines not to cross, but a spiritual standard defines the life that we are called to live. And we talked last Sunday how that it's great that we have a moral code. And I'm so thankful for thou shalt nots and the do's and the don'ts that we find in Scripture. But when you come to the New Testament and you step into the heart and life of Jesus Christ, I believe that through the Beatitudes, Jesus was doing something powerful. Not only was he establishing the moral code of the Old Testament, but he was literally establishing a new covenant and a new standard in which he was calling us to live. And we just challenged ourselves last Sunday. We said Christianity cannot be defined by what we don't do, right? I'm not a Christian because I don't drink and I don't cuss and I don't run with those who do, right? That doesn't make me a Christian. I'm not a Christian because of what I don't do. I'm a Christian because of the life that I do live. I'm a Christian because I'm following Jesus. I'm a Christian because the standard and the example of who he is is modeled and exemplified in my life. And really what I believe Jesus was doing through the Beatitudes and with his entire life, let's just be honest, everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did was to create an example that you and I can follow because we are Christians. We're supposed to be Christ-like and we have been called to follow him. So today in Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to reread the Beatitudes and we're going to look at this spiritual standard that Jesus has called us to. It says, in seeing the multitudes, verse 1, Jesus went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so last week as we kind of began to unpackage these truths, these beatitudes, we kind of looked at the first one. Let's just revisit it real quick this morning. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we said that spiritual poverty is really a dependency and an expectancy upon the Lord. That when we live in a place of being spiritually poor, we come to a place where we understand that I am dependent on God. That I must do my part, but there's a part that only God can do. Only God can save. Only God can heal. Only God can deliver. Only God can redeem us from the the sins of our past and deliver us into the glorious hope of a future that is rooted and grounded in the love and the grace that he offers us. And all of a sudden we begin to recognize our dependency upon him that we need God. Can I get an amen from somebody today? We need God. We need his 
his grace. We need his mercy. We need him to do in us and for us what we can't do for ourselves. And we talked about how that through prayer, we acknowledge that God is the source of every good and perfect thing. We, we, we recognize how that through our obedience, we literally position ourselves so we can receive the things that God wants to do in our lives. And that through praise, we literally are propelled to that place of victory. That praise is an expectation. When I praise God in advance... For what I believe and know that he's going to do, that's faith. Come on, somebody. And I say, God, I want to praise you today for what I believe and know you're going to do tomorrow because you're a good, good father and you love us. Amen. And so we kind of dove into that. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go out there on social media, YouTube, Facebook, our app, and just listen to that message. So let's look at our next two Beatitudes today. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mournful are the grieving and the broken. Literally those who wail in anguish and pain. In the Greek, the word mourning literally means to wail. It means to be in anguish. It means to be in deep grief. It means to be overcome by sorrow. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the grieving, the broken, those who are wailing in anguish and pain. And the source of our mourning does not matter. What matters is that God has a special blessing reserved for those who look to him in times of grief and in times of pain. So what do I mean by that little statement, the source of our mourning does not matter? Well, what's exciting about the heart of God is simply this. If something breaks your heart, it breaks his if something breaks your heart, it breaks his. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because when your heart is broken, guess what? He's a good father. Any good fathers in the house today? Come on, somebody. Any good fathers in the house? You know, if you're a good father, you know what you do? You grieve when your kids grieve, and you rejoice when your kids rejoice. When they're hurt, you hurt, and when they celebrate, you celebrate. Why? Because their pain is your pain, and their victories are your victories, and we serve a good, good Father. And anything that breaks your heart breaks the heart of the Father. And what I love about that little statement that why we mourn really doesn't matter. The source of our mourning is not what's important. What's important is the blessing of God that has been reserved for those who mourn. Now, I'm not really a big commentary person, but if you enjoy commentaries, they're a great resource for understanding and studying Scripture. But when you begin to read some of the commentaries on, on this Scripture, blessed are those who mourn, they automatically, how many know that as pastors and preachers, we have a tendency to spiritualize everything? <laughs> Well, most of the commentaries that I read on blessed are those who mourn really take a spiritual approach. And this is what they say. Blessed are those who mourn over their own sin. And blessed are those who mourn over the sins of the world. And you know what? That's true. How many know there should be some mourning over our own sin? We should mourn and grieve over the sin that's in our life. And we should look at our world that is broken because of sin. And we should mourn and we should grieve over the brokenness and the sinfulness of our world. But let me give you some good news. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, he was not just qualifying it for those who are mourning over sin. He was enlarging an umbrella literally that says, blessed are those who mourn, period. Those who are broken, those who are grieving. Maybe you're grieving over the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're grieving over a marriage that has gone bad. Maybe you're grieving over a financial loss that you've set back. Maybe you're grieving over a diagnosis that has been given to you in your family. But whatever the source of your mourning, it doesn't change the promise of God's blessing. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And there's really only one prerequisite for the comfort of God to be poured out upon your heart. There's only one requirement for you to receive this amazing blessing that we're going to talk about called the comfort of God. The only requirement is simply this. Blessed are those who, when they mourn, look to God. Blessed are those who, when they mourn, look to God. Because if they look to God, they will be comforted. And what we're going to see in just a minute, we're going to recognize that one of the greatest schemes of the enemy against your life is that in the midst of your brokenness and your pain, he wants to disconnect you from God. Satan wants you to look anywhere and everywhere except to the Lord when your heart is broken and when your life is overcome by overwhelming grief and sorrow. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. Look at that next point if you're a note taker today. That next point on your outline says this beatitude reveals the heart of Father God. See, you were never intended to be broken beyond the point of repair. This beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, reveals the heart of God. He's a good father that cares about you. He's a loving father that is concerned about every aspect of your life. And if you are broken and you are hurting and you are grieving, he is there with you. You were never intended to be broken beyond repair. That in the midst of your brokenness, God has promised a comfort that comes to your aid, that comes to your side, that is intended to bring you to a place of restoration and healing. God never intended you to live from a place of brokenness. He intended you to heal from a place of restoration and wholeness that comes from looking to a God who loves you and who sent his son to die for you and who sent the Holy Spirit to live within you as the indwelling comforter of God in your life. And so when you look at the rest of that statement, God never intended you to be broken beyond repair. The blessing in this scripture called the comfort of God is literally the presence of God in our lives. He literally comes beside you. The word comfort is used, Jesus uses it to describe the Holy Spirit. And it literally means this, to comfort means to come alongside you, to draw near to you. See, there is a special blessing called the presence of God where God draws near to the hearts of those that are broken. When you're grieving, when you're hurting, when you're overwhelmed, when you're in anguish and pain, when you're at the end of your rope, there is a special blessing called the comfort of God, the nearness of His presence where He draws near to your heart. And then as I was studying, I just wrote down some specific things the Holy Spirit quickened in my heart. Think about this. He literally comes beside you. He carries you. He strengthens you. He affirms you. He loves you. He encourages you. He sustains you. And He heals your broken heart. That's what He does. In your worst, grievous, broken Anguish-filled moments, God is near. He draws near to you. And He sustains you and carries you. And the truth is, we've all experienced it to some degree. 
The truth is, if you'll think back over your life, you can look back on your life and you can look at seasons in your life when when you were in the middle of that season, you thought, I'll never make it out. I'll never come out on the other side of this. I'll never overcome this. My heart will never be the same. My life will never be the same. My world will never be the same. But somehow, by the grace of God, somehow, by the comfort of the Holy Spirit, God sustains you. And here you are on the other side of that grief, on the other side of that pain, and you're still standing And if you're spiritually minded enough to recognize it, you recognize you're not still standing because you were strong enough. You're still standing because his love was great enough to draw near your heart in the most broken season of your life and carry you. We've all read the old footprint poem, right? Where there's two sets of footprints in the sand and the person says, God, in the hardest times of my life, there were only one set of footprints. Where were you? And God said it was in those moments that I carried you. See, the realization is that God draws near to your pain. God draws near to your sorrow. God draws near to you. We're, we're kind of going into the Christmas season, and if you can think about your Christmas tree and all the presents under the tree, and every tree, you know, has got that little tag on it because it's addressed to somebody and it's got your name on it or somebody else's name on it. Here's the good news there is a gift under the tree that simply says, To the broken. And if you're victorious, it's not for you. And if you're prospering and riding on the top of your world right now, that gift is not for you. Man, there's a presence of God that we experience in our victory, amen? You ever got a breakthrough and you're like, whoo, I mean, God was real and God was powerful and his presence was amazing. But that same presence that you felt on the mountaintop when you were experiencing overwhelming victory and breakthrough is not the same presence that God wants to bring into your life when you're broken and you're hurting and anguish and sorrow and tears have become the food that you eat. There is a comfort from God. There is a blessing called the nearness of His presence in which He envelops you in your lowest, lowest time. Look at that next point, and we're going to come back to some scripture in just a minute. Look at that next point on your outline. This beatitude is powerful. Let me tell you why it's powerful. Because it rises up against the accusations of the enemy who always blames God for your pain. Think about that. Satan's number one scheme and strategy against us is when there is sorrow and pain, when there is grief and heartache, Satan always whispers those little accusations. If God really loved you, this wouldn't be happening to you. If God really cared, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. If God was really for you, then you would not be fighting the battle that you're fighting right now. How can God love you when you hurt this bad? How can God love you when you're broken this deeply? How can God care when you feel like everyone has abandoned you? And that scheme, let me tell you, That scheme of the enemy takes more people out than almost any other scheme I've seen of the enemy. Satan loves to be an accuser. He is called the accuser of the brethren. And before he accuses me and you, he always accuses God. 
of being unloving, of being uncaring, of not being concerned about your life. And he loves to get me and you to blame God. Let me tell you why. Because if I blame God for my pain, I won't look to God for my healing. Because if I think you're the source of my pain, I promise you I'm not drawing near you. I'm running from you. And how many people today are running from God because Satan has deceived them into blaming God for the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, and the grief that's in their life? Look at the rest of that statement on your outline. Satan's scheme is to disconnect you from the comfort of God that heals your heart so he can keep you in a place of grief and pain. Unhealed hurts become demonic strongholds through which Satan manipulates your life. As I was praying through this, just literally this morning, the Holy Spirit said, Keith, he said, Satan wants to keep you in a place of pain. Listen to this. This is huge. So that you will become an inflictor of pain. We've all heard the old saying, right? Hurt people hurt people. And when you walk around with a wounded heart and you walk around with the insecurities and the fear and the resentment and the bitterness that comes from an unhealed hurt in your life, what is crazy is that you actually, the person that is now wounded and broken, becomes a vessel in the hand of the enemy that wounds and breaks other people. How many times have you or have you heard someone say, I will never be like my mother, and they become just like their mother. I'll never do to my kids what my parents did to me, and they do to their kids what their parents did to them. I'll never treat people the way my ex treated me, and they treat their new spouse the same way their ex treated them. Because unhealed hurts become demonic strongholds through which Satan then begins to manipulate and control our lives. And wounded people become people that wound people. And the cycle of pain and grief goes on. And as long as he can keep us deceived into blaming God for our pain, we'll never find the healing that comes from God to deliver us from it. So I want to do something this morning. I'm just going to stop right here for just a second. I want you to bow your heads. If you're watching online, whether you're with a group of people or whether you're by yourself, I want you just to bow your heads. I want you to look inside for just a moment. And I want to ask you a question today. Are you carrying a hurt that needs to be healed? Are you carrying a hurt that needs to be healed? Are you carrying a pain that has literally not only inflicted pain on you, but you can look at your life and out of that hurt, you can see that you have even hurt the people that you love. You've re reacted and you've responded out of your wound instead of out of his grace. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you say, you know what, today... Today I want to be healed of my hurt. Today I want to look to God. I want to stop blaming God for my pain. And I want to look to God to heal the hurt that's in my heart and my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a minute, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, that's me, and I want God today 
to heal that hurt. I want you just to slip your hand up. Just raise your hand all over this building. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji. Right now, hands are going up everywhere. Pastor Keith, why do I have to raise my hand? Because faith without works is dead. you got to activate your faith. you got to step out right now. Just a simple lifted hand that says, today, I'm looking to God. I'm looking to God. You can put your hands down. Right now, let's pray this prayer together. I want everybody in the room to pray it with me. If you're watching online, let's pray this prayer together. And let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe you love me. And you're for me. And not against me. I ask you to forgive me. For blaming you. For the pain and grief in my life. I recognize today. You're my healer. And my comforter. And I invite you in. To heal the hurt, the grief, and the pain in my heart. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to minister to my heart that I might be made whole. And I receive your healing today in the name of Jesus. I want you just to keep your heads bowed for a second. I want you just to let the Lord minister to you right now. I'm going to read some scripture over you. And I want you to hear what God's word says. Psalms 34 verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. Psalms 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. Luke 4.18. Jesus is speaking. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. And he comforts us in all our troubles. So Father, I thank you for the comfort of God right now being released in this room and literally around the world. I thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for healing our hearts. And Lord, today we choose by faith to keep our eyes on you. To look to you, the comforter of our soul. And Lord, I declare your blessing today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we give God a little hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope this morning already that you're recognizing that God is a God that heals. Amen. And that we'll keep our eyes focused on Him. I love, don't you love the presence of God? Don't you love the fact that God can meet us right where we're at? And what you just learned in those last few minutes, you can operate in for the rest of your life. You can look to God as your healer. And he promises, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen? All right, well, we're going to take our next few minutes, and we're going to look at one more beatitude this morning. Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, and he says, blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. It is a gentleness of spirit. The word literally meek in the Greek means to be gentle of spirit. It is a gentleness of spirit that is rooted in a confidence in God. Listen to this next statement. The meek trust God. They trust that God will do what they can't do. They trust that God will do what he said he would do. The meek trust God. Therefore, they don't have to play God by trying to control people. Meekness is not weakness. It is gentleness of spirit. It is a confident hope that is rooted in Jesus Christ. And as I was praying through this study, the Lord said, Keith, he said, the opposite of meekness is fear. The opposite of meekness is fear. When I'm meek, I'm in a place where I'm in a confident trust. There's a gentleness of spirit that says, I don't have to control you in order for God to do what God's going to do. How many of you realize that in this room, some of us, maybe you, maybe somebody you know, we all know some control freaks, amen? Who have to control everything. And here's the realization. When I feel like I have to play God and control everybody and everything, I'm not in meekness. I'm in fear. I'm not in a place of confident trust where I've got a gentle spirit that trusts the Lord that he's going to do what he said he would do. Now, this doesn't mean we relinquish our responsibility. This doesn't mean we can't be bold and confident. This doesn't mean that we pull back. It means we step up. But this is what it means. I do not have to play God because I trust God. I trust God to do what I can't do. I trust God to do everything that he said he would do in my life because he's God. And he's a good, good father. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, we get a beautiful picture. Jesus exemplified all of the Beatitudes in his life. But Jesus shows us something. This this scripture, the Holy Spirit quickened it to my heart. He said, Keith, this is such a beautiful picture of meekness. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus has been in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be crucified. He's been at his literally lowest point. He he has been in grief and in anguish of soul. His sweat has become as great drops of blood. His disciples could not tarry with him and pray. And three times he left them and three times they fell asleep. And all of a sudden Jesus comes back. After submitting to the will of the Father, God, not my will, but your will be done, God. He comes back to his disciples. And this is where we come to the story. The Bible says, so Judas came straight to Jesus. You remember, Judas is bringing the army. Judas is bringing the people that are about to arrest Jesus. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And Judas came straight to Jesus, greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed. And he gave him the kiss, that betrayal's kiss. Look at verse 50. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. And then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword, that's Peter, according to one of the other Gospels, and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. How many know he wasn't trying to cut his ear off? He was going for his head, and the guy ducked. 
Whoop, wow. Look at verse 43, 53. Jesus said, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. Look at verse 54. But if I did, how would the scripture be fulfilled that describes what must happen now? I want you to think about this story for a second because Jesus, who was God, refused to play God and try to manipulate the people in his life. I mean, think about Judas coming to him. Think about Judas coming to Jesus. How easy it would have been to play the manipulation card. Right? Judas, my friend, you mean you're really going to do this to me? You mean after all we've been through? After all the miracles you've seen? Judas, are you sure this is really what you want to do? Come on, Judas. Think about it for just a second. Think about what you're about to do. I mean, I fed you. Man, I saved you. I'm going to give my life for Judas, think about it for just a second. Do you really want to do what you're about to do after all I've done for you? But Jesus said, friend, do what you've come to do. And then when Peter pulls out his sword, tries to cut the head off the guy and misses and cuts off his ear, Jesus reaches down, grabs the guy's ear, puts it back on his head and heals the guy. And then he says, put your sword up because do you not know? See, Jesus, let me tell you something. Jesus was, was not powerless. He was the most powerful person in that story. He was large and in charge because he was submitted to the will of the Father. And in meekness and gentleness of spirit, he was willing to trust the Father to do what the Father wanted to do, even though it was going to cost him everything. And he said, put up your sword. I could call thousands of angels and in an instant they would come. And we could be delivered. Hear me today. Jesus said, and we could be delivered, but the world would be damned. Because if I don't do what the Father sent me to do, there's no salvation. There's no redemption. And there's no hope for the world. And in meekness, a gentleness of spirit that fully and confidently trusted in the hand of God to do what God the Father said he would do, Jesus submitted. How powerful is that? Look at our last point. I want you to see this. Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This beatitude not only drives home the revelation of meekness and what it means to have a gentle, submitted spirit that trusts God, but it also releases the blessing of an earthly inheritance and exposes the lie of the enemy that God doesn't care about earthly things. I can't tell you over the years how many times I've had people say, well, Pastor Keith, you know you can't pray about money. God don't care about money. You can't pray about your job. God doesn't really care about your job. You can't pray about your finances. God really doesn't care about those things. Relationships and children. God only cares about the eternal things. Jesus blows that out of the water when he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit 
the earth. The word earth literally means the ground, the natural, this thing we live on. When God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, God created them to rule and reign in his image and in his likeness to bring his dominion to the earth. What they lost through sin, Jesus reclaimed through his redemption. God does not intend you to walk around broke, busted, and disgusted waiting for heaven to come. He wants to bless you now. He wants to prosper you now. There is a physical, temporal, earthly blessing that God has reserved for the meek. And what I was, as I was thinking and praying about this, I thought it was pretty appropriate that God wanted to give his blessing not to control freaks, but to submitted sons and daughters who would use what he gave them in a way that would honor him and continue to advance his kingdom. Look at the rest of that statement. So God has a temporal, earthly, physical blessing reserved for those who through meekness will trust him. Our inheritance is given, not taken. You don't take your inheritance. Inheritances are given. You receive your inheritance from the goodness of the Father. Look at Colossians 3. Two more scriptures. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. I'm going to stop there. It says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. Not just eternal, but a temporal inheritance. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you are serving is Christ. Listen to what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, meekness is not weakness. It is a gentleness of spirit that trusts God to do what only God can do. And I'm going to serve my masters, whether that's my employer or whatever it may be, as unto the Lord. And whatever I do, I'm going to do as unto the Lord. Why? Because my reward comes from God, not people. The Holy Spirit spoke this to me. He said, Keith, remind the people that their boss does not hold their financial future in his hand. He said, remind them that their co-worker cannot steal their promotion, but their bad attitude can rob them of it. Meekness. I don't have to manipulate people. I don't have to use people. I don't have to play God to get my way because I can actually trust God to do what God can do because he's God and he's good. Let me give you one last scripture. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says this, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be 
safe. I told you all ago, the Lord showed me the opposite of meekness is fear. It's the fear of man. If I'm not trusting God, then I'm afraid of man. And this is what happens. I'm afraid that they're not going to see my gifts and my ability and I'm not going to get the promotion. I'm afraid they're going to look over me and somehow somebody else is going to get ahead of me. I'm afraid that my spouse is not really going to see all the things I'm doing around the house and therefore they're going to look somewhere else for what they're looking for in our marriage. And all of a sudden, we allow the fear of man. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. He said, Keith, he said, anytime you are trying to appease or please people in order to get what you want, then you're a manipulation and fear. Anytime you're trying to appease or please people to get what you want, you're living in the fear of man. I have to appease you because I don't think you really see my own my value. And I have to please you because I want to make sure that you give me the thing that I want to get. And I really don't care about pleasing you. I just really care about using you because you're just a stepping stone to my next level of success. Relationships. Let me tell you why half of all marriages end in divorce. Half of all marriages in America end in divorce because out of fear... Out of fear, I'm afraid I'm not going to get married. I'm afraid my, my clock is ticking away. I'm afraid I'm never going to be able to have the family that I want to have. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And out of fear, we begin to appease and please people in order to earn their love. And then we become exhausted. Exhausted. I can't tell you how many marriages I have seen in just because the people were tired. I'm just so tired of trying to make them happy. I'm just so tired of trying to earn their love. I'm just so tired of all this. It's just, I'm just so tired. That's because you're operating out of fear. You're trying to appease or please them to earn love from them. And if I have to appease you and please you to earn your love, I'm going to be exhausted And not only am I going to be exhausted, I'm going to be frustrated and I'm going to be mad at you. And isn't that what happens in marriages? Isn't that what happens in relationships? We become frustrated and angry with our spouses. Because we're operating out of the fear of man. Instead of the meekness of God that says, Lord, I'm going to do my part. And I'm going to trust you to do what I can't do. I'm going to trust you to turn the heart of my spouse. I'm going to trust you to give us a breakthrough. I'm going to trust you. It's good preaching. It ain't easy living, I'm just telling you. It ain't easy. It ain't easy living. But you know what? The God of all comfort wants to comfort us. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And we have a gentle and a meek spirit through Christ. And we can do this through Christ who gives us strength. I want us just to bow our heads today. I want to just encourage you as a Christian just to take some time right now. And maybe you recognize there's some fear of man. Maybe you're watching online and you realize that you've been spending your entire life trying to appease and please people to earn love or acceptance or favor or promotion. And you're tired. I want to just give you some good news today. You don't have to live your life exhausted 
Because you can live your life submitted through meekness to the will of the Father. You can trust God. God, I'll do my part. I don't get to relinquish my authority. I've still got to do my part. But now I can trust God through meekness to do His part. Every day doesn't have to be a battle. There are battles. But every day doesn't have to be a battle over the same thing. There's breakthrough and there's deliverance and there's freedom that comes through the gentleness of meekness. Because blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a blessing of breakthrough with your name on it. And if you're a Christian, I want to just challenge you right now just to deal with those things right now. Renounce and confess that fear of man is sin. And say, Lord, I don't want to fear man. I want to trust you. I want to trust you, God. Yes, Lord. The second thing I want to do is simply this. Maybe you're here today and you realize that that Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life. And I'm just going to tell you, you can't live this life that I just talked about living apart from Christ. It is in Him that we move and breathe and have our being. It is in Him that we find life and life abundant. It is in Him that we are made strong through meekness. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you realize today that if you were to die right now, you would die separated from God, this is your moment. This is your hour. And if you're watching online or if you're here in this room today, it doesn't matter where you are. God sees you. God cares about you. And He sent His Son Jesus to redeem you. So if that's you this morning, you say, today, Pastor Keith, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And I want to begin today to follow him for the rest of my life. If that's you, just raise your hand. All over this building, just slip your hand up. Again, faith without works is dead. You've got to activate your faith. You've got to step out and do something. If you raise your hand, our ushers are going to slip a little packet in your hand. And we're going to pray together in just a minute. If you're watching online, just hit that hand emoji. Just hit that hand emoji. Type in that chat box, I'm I'm raising my hand. Our online team would love to pray with you. I'm about to lead you in a prayer. But if that's you, just raise your hand. If you haven't slipped your hand up and you're in the room today or you're watching online, this is your moment. This is your hour. Jesus is calling you. You can die without Christ and you'll spend eternity separated from God. Or you can accept the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus and you can follow Him today. So if you raised your hand right now, I want to pray with you. I want to ask everybody in the room to say this out loud with me. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin rose again on the third day I confess that I'm a sinner I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior I commit my life to follow you and I receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ my Lord in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. We love you. And if you received a card or a packet this morning, on the front of that packet, there's a little card. If you take a moment and fill that out, give that to an usher on the way out today. We'd personally love to follow up with you and welcome you to the family. God bless you. You're dismissed. Uh, Make sure to stop by the Information Center if you want to help cook for our Thanksgiving Day dinner or adopt a coat or a hoodie. We love you guys, and uh, have a blessed day in the Lord.